Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. Welcome to the Greener Way podcast. I'm your host and managing editor of FS Sustainability, Rachel Allen-Bacchus. In this episode, brought to you by BNP Paribas Asset Management, we'll be talking about green bonds and their role in investments and how they assist in achieving net zero aims. Joining us for this conversation is BNP Paribas Asset Management Head of Euro Multi-Strategy Fixed Income, Anud Guillaume Lamey. Anud Guillaume, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me today. Absolute pleasure. Let's start with a really basic question, Anud Guillaume. How does BNP Paribas Asset Management define green bonds? And do you think they're a useful vehicle for driving sustainable action? Well, thanks for the question. So just let's take a step back before. Uh, BNP Paribas Asset Management believes that by working collectively with clients, issuers, regulators, and peers, we can create a more sustainable future. So we developed our global sustainability strategy in 2019 under the guidance of Jane and Bashir, our global head of sustainability. And uh, well, I believe you already had a, a conversation uh, with, uh, with her. Absolutely. Had the pleasure of talking with Jane. And so this GSS, Global Sustainability Strategy, is now going, uh, undergoing another iteration, another release uh, later this year, benefiting from the very well-resourced, more than 30 people, a strong sustainability center, which includes dedicated uh, green bond ESG analysts. And we as investment teams are really strongly supported uh, by the sustainability center to deliver on our sustainability ambitions. Mm-hmm. As the previous podcast uh, may have highlighted, uh, there are six pillars to our approach. Uh, and the green bond strategy that uh, my team manages uh, can fit either under the three E's pillar, so energy transition, environmental sustainability, and the third E is equality and inclusive growth. And it can also be within the pillar of providing investment solutions for sustainability. So, so after this very long uh, introduction, uh, <laughs> let me uh, answer uh, your, your question. So green bonds uh, can be a, an impactful alternative uh, for, for traditional government bonds or aggregate portfolio. In fact, they are uh, traditional uh, bonds, except that they fund only green projects. Because really, mm-hmm. this green bond is a fixed income instrument that funds green projects to assist in the mitigation uh, of climate change and other environmental challenges. So it, it funds renewable energy, clean means of transportation, energy efficiency, etc. So mm. they are part of and even the real solution uh, to the energy transition. Because in fact, we have on one side uh, the, all the fixed income savings, which are more than $100 trillion. And on the other side, we have these needs to fund the energy transition. And according to the ECD, it's around $7 trillion per year. And the green bond is really the link between the two, driving these fixed income savings into the funding uh, of energy transition. Uh, and the good thing is that from a financial perspective, a green bond typically provides the same risk return profile as a standard bond and usually has the same financial characteristics and financial performance. For example, the, the credit risk of a green bond is the same uh, as the credit risk of a classic bond from the same issuer and the same maturity. So it's really equivalent to them. It ranks at the same level. So, so mm-hmm. to make a long story uh, short, uh, according to me, the green bonds are really a very appealing to for fixed income investors to fund the energy transition. Can I ask a, a follow-up question here, Anud Guillaume? When you're talking about green bonds, um, do you differentiate between certified green bonds and 
bonds where you and your analysts look at the underlying proceeds to determine uh, and determine that they're green without needing that certification? Well, in fact, on our side, uh, we will always do our homework. Mm. So the ESG analyst will always analyze the green bonds. And when I buy a green bonds into my green bond portfolio, it has to be approved by the ESG analyst. So if it's mm-hmm. not approved, I cannot buy it into my portfolio. So the certification is less important to us, uh, given that we have the ESG analyst looking at every single green bond we buy in a green bond portfolio. So it's really up to us to determine whether or not we think it's green enough. And we have mm. developed uh, since 2015 a very strong methodology uh, on green bonds, looking at the issuer, looking at the use of proceeds through the world exchange value and looking at the impact reports as well. Excellent. All right. Well, how is demand for green bonds um, shaping the way in which companies are issuing green bonds? And, and how are companies managing uh, their green bond issuance with regards to greenwashing as well? One thing which has changed since we launched uh, the, the strategy uh, six years ago is the fact that at that time, offer was driving the demand, meaning mm. that the issuers were issuing green bonds and more or less educating uh, the investors uh, on that. But now the demand is so strong that it, it is the demand driving the offer. We have seen uh, on our side, uh, our AUM on our fund tripling uh, during the last uh, three years, in fact. And we mm. s- we saw a lot of commitments from insurers, pension funds, private banks turning part of their portfolios uh, into uh, into green bonds. We see more and more RFPs uh, on green bond uh, as well. And so there is a very specific demand on green bonds now, which is pushing the issuers to come in the market and issue green bonds. One thing which is good for the issuer is that now uh, the feel that it is easier for them to issue green bonds when times of stress versus mm-hmm. issuing standard bonds. And that's pushing the market for diversification because at the beginning you had mainly agencies, supranationals, and of course utilities for renewable energy, then real estate companies, banks, and green bonds. But now, especially since 2019, we've seen consumer cyclical companies, uh, corporates in uh, communication uh, sector, in tech uh, as well. So we see really this diversification. And mm. I think the fact that you have such a strong demand for green bonds now is pushing uh, the, uh, the issuers to come in. Mm, it's been really interesting, um, you know, speaking as someone who who covers the sector as opposed to invests in the sector, um, also to see the diversification of the use of assets as well. Um, you know, in in our in our market in Asia Pacific, we've had bonds that are or and and uh, issuance that's around uh, green bonds and circular economy. Um, again, as an example, it's just it's exciting to see the market to get more sophisticated. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And on our side, we uh, we also look at social bonds. Mm. In fact, and mm-hmm. uh, beyond circular economy, uh, you have social bonds, uh, which would uh, fund uh, social housing, uh, healthcare facilities, mobility for disabled, education for low-income uh, people, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et social benefits. So that's also a very interesting point uh, in the market: the development of these uh, social bonds, uh, which is also attractive uh, from our mm. point of view. It's uh, where you can uh, fund positive projects uh, overall on the mm-hmm. environmental side for green bonds, on the social side for, for social bonds. 
it's again, it's fascinating to observe. Um, Anud Guillem, do you only put green bonds in pure green bond mandates or is there a, a wider use case for green mo- bonds in a more diversified bond strategy? Well, a very good question. And in fact, I believe that every single fixed income investor already has green bonds into his portfolio, potentially hmm. even without knowing it. Because, you know, green bonds are first a standard bond and mm-hmm. they fund green projects. So for plenty of investors, they would buy green bonds without looking at whether it is green or not, just because it is a bond. But mm. your question is also interesting in the fact that indeed within our standard portfolios, we do push for green bonds uh, to be uh, included for, with a higher share, let's say. How do we do that? In fact, for our Article 8 portfolios, for most of them, uh, we will have an ESG score better than the benchmark. So the point here, what we've done is that for green bonds, which are been validated uh, by our ESG analyst, if they are neutral, they have a small bonus in terms of ESG score versus the score of the issuer. And if they have a, a positive uh, score, then they have a higher bonus uh, on this point is here to incentivize the portfolio managers to have more green bonds into their portfolio in order to beat the ESG score of the benchmark. So the best way for portfolio managers is to buy more green, uh, green bonds instead of standard bonds, and that they will achieve more easily uh, the ESG score better than the benchmark, which means that by having this rule, ESG score be- better than the benchmark, Mm-hmm. which is mainly an evidence of our inter- ESG integration, we transform that as well into an instant, uh, the fact that we incentivize the portfolio managers to have more positive, to fund more positive projects uh, for the planet, whether it is green bonds, but we have the same process for social bonds uh, as well. Interesting. And so just to clarify for our listeners, um, when you say Article 8, that's under the European SFDR, um, the distinction between Article 8, which is a, a light green fund, and Article 9, which is a deep green fund. Am I, am I correct in, in that interpretation? Article 8 uh, would be ESG integration. Okay. And Article 9 would be uh, for us uh, some thematic funds. For instance, the green bond fund or the social bond fund. Excellent. It's always useful to make sure that we're talking about the correct terms and uh, it, it can be uh, it can be a challenge in a market like Australia where we don't have that kind of classification yet. Well, even in Europe, it can be a challenge <laughs> to understand everything. <laughs> so I'm led to believe. Um, so Anod Guillem, uh, you were talking a little bit earlier in the interview about being supported by a team of 30 and having ESG analysts. And so how does that team work with you and your colleagues around assessing and monitoring issuers to make sure that they're taking the actions that they've committed to in their green bonds? Before every single issuance, uh, our uh, ESG analyst would analyze the green bond framework uh, mm. and uh, the strategy uh, of the uh, of the company. And they would look at the use of proceeds on one side and check uh, whether or not it fits our own taxonomy, uh, which differs mm-hmm. a bit uh, from uh, from the EU taxonomy. And they will look at the whole chain value, checking whether it, it, it works uh, or not uh, from our point of view. So for instance, in the taxonomy going from diesel train to electric train, that's great. But if electricity is produced uh, by coal power plant, what's the point? Mm. Uh, so, so really, that's where the uh, ESG analyst will look at use proceeds. They would look as well at the issuer itself and check whether or not the issuer has a transition plan. Uh, mm-hmm. That the green bond is not just a small tiny piece of the balance sheet and that they don't care on the rest of their activity. So they, they will look at this and so that's ex ante before the issuance, for every mm-hmm. single issuance, 
And so we talk daily with them because we have daily issuances. And then one year or 18 months later or up to 24 months later, they will look at the impact report of the issuer. Uh, if there is no impact report, well, we, we divest. Uh, mm. Should not happen because we would not invest in a bond where the uh, corporate has not committed to, a, to an impact report. Uh, and so uh, the ESG uh, analysts will look at the impact report and make a review, an update of their analysis of the green bond based on the real allocation of proceeds and the data uh, that are being disclosed uh, by the uh, issuer in their impact reports. And on our side, we also benefit from a partnership with a company that will help us to recalculate the CO2 emissions which have been avoided so that we can challenge the companies uh, in front of us uh, with the figures they provide to us. I find it really interesting that you've built into the program uh, that there's an opportunity to divest if you're finding uh, that the issuer is incompatible with reporting requirements. That's a really useful tool to have as an active owner. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, you know, uh, when uh, you have a, a green bond, it's a commitment from the issuer uh, mm. and you have to be sure that they fulfill this commitment. And mm. uh, if you have no proof of that, if there is as mentioned, no impact report. Well, mm. if we don't have a proof, uh, we cannot report ourselves either. So we, we have a real issue there. It means that the mm. commitment has not been fulfilled, plus uh, potentially that uh, it was uh, less attractive than what we would have expected in terms of as uh, a positive uh, outcome uh, for, the, uh, for the planet. Interesting. Thank you for clarifying that. I wanted to move the topic slightly and talk about transition and adaptation. Um, there are two very important considerations when it comes to climate change. Um, do these activities fall into green bond programs from your perspective? It depends on what you mean by transition. So the purpose mm -hmm. of green bonds is really to fund the energy transition. So mm. yes, but if you're mm. talking about funding fossil energy by green bonds, I would say no. Uh, I, I, of course, if you, if you are going to gas versus coal, it's mm -hmm. better to go to gas versus coal and you can mm -hmm. fund that with transition bonds. But with green bonds, you have to fund green energy and fossil mm -hmm. energy that are not green. Uh, so that would not fit within our definition of a, of a green bond. Mm. And adaptation, um, this is a topic that's becoming really important um, in terms of where we need to be to invest, to adapt uh, the world as it is now. Um, does adaptation fall into a, a green bond program as well? Well, adaptation or mitigation uh, mm. measures uh, may fall uh, under, under this, but we have to, to, to be sure that uh, it's really uh, properly implemented. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's a lot of work to to to, to analyze and to define uh, mm -hmm. what's right uh, on on this field. I suppose this is where having that that team of analysts and the internal taxonomy of of analysis that you were just talking about exactly. um, can be really helpful to to dive into the underlying projects with the with with the issuance. Well, it's more than helpful; it's a prerequisite. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't do that job without them. Mm. So. What does the future hold for green bonds? Um, is this going to be a rapidly expanding market from your perspective? Um, are there new topics and new issuance that, that will fall in um, to the sort of the green bond umbrella? What, what do you foresee? So well, I don't think we'll have a massive growth now because it's already quite a mature market with 400 to 500 billion uh, mm. of uh, issuances of dollars, uh, issuances per year. So you already had quite a lot uh, every year in terms of primary issuances. So I think it will keep on expanding uh, mm -hmm. in terms of diversification, in, some, in terms of share uh, of the overall uh, fixed income market. Now, the main point for the future of green bonds is really about standardization. 
Uh, so we have the EU taxonomy in EU, but in fact, everybody talks about the EU taxonomy, but in fact, around the world, you are more than 30 taxonomies being mm. already in place or being discussed. Uh, throughout the world. And so that helps for uh, standardization, maybe not to have 33 or 35 <laughs> uh, taxonomies, but still, uh, in, in each region, country, you will have uh, a standardization of that. And the next point is really standardization on reporting. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really something which is important. Uh, I mentioned the CO2 emissions, uh, which are be being avoided thanks to the EU projects. On this, uh, we need more standardization. On our side, as I mentioned, we recalculate with the same methodology for everyone. So that mm -hmm. helps us. Uh, but that would be better even to have a, a standardization on that and a standardization on a report mm. uh, as a whole. And the last one on standardization, that's the carbon footprint of the projects themselves. Because uh, we, uh, we look at the CO2 emissions which have been avoided. So that's mm -hmm. very important. But still, the projects still have a bit of a small, uh, hopefully, carbon footprint themselves. And on this, uh, we're working on that at BNP Paribas Asset Management, but we would need more data disclosures uh, for some mm -hmm. uh, issuers uh, to, to be able to calculate that. What do you think will drive that standardization on Node-GIM? Um, is this, this where, you know, global reporting standards like ISSB on climate and sustainability will, will, will drive greater harmonization? Well, it, that, that can help for sure. You have the EU uh, also uh, trying to push for green bond standards, which mm. means that uh, at least 85% uh, of uh, the uh, use of proceeds would be uh, aligned with the EU taxonomy, mm -hmm. uh, uh, plus investors. Uh, mm. Investors, we are pushing uh, for for more standardization. We are asking uh, the issuers uh, to uh, to standardize uh, their, uh, their reports. So it mm. takes time, uh, but well, the uh, higher the demand, the higher the number of investors uh, interested into these and making their homework and pushing for that, uh, mm. well, the quicker uh, it, it will be to, uh, to obtain it. And as I mentioned, on our side, we don't even wait for the standardization to come to mm. try to recalculate CO2 emissions avoided or to try to calculate uh, in, the, in the near future uh, the uh, carbon footprint of the, uh, of the project themselves. So the more investors were on this, the quicker it will, it will come. Excellent. Well, we like to see the future coming quickly here at The Greener Way. We've been talking with Arnaud Guillaume Lamey. This episode was brought to you by BNP Paribas Asset Management. I'm Rachel Allenbacchus. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Greener Way podcast. If you liked today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allenbacchus. The Greenaway podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greenaway podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement 
And if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.